Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Hello and welcome to the Keeper Cup Podcast. I'm Chad Young, joined as always by Pete Ball. As a reminder, we are a proud member of the Pitcher List Podcast Network. You can find us everywhere you listen to podcasts. You can leave us ratings and reviews at all of those wonderful podcast platforms. And you can find us on Twitter. The show is at Keep or Cut. That's cut with a K. You can find Pete at Pete B Baseball. You can find me at Chad Young. And we are we are past the all-star break here, Pete. We're into the second half. The the I don't know. It's not it's not the official second half of the season because the season's more than half over. The second like the second half is always less than half, but you know, the unofficial, the cultural second half of the season. I don't know what you call it, but <laughs> I like the cultural second half. Cultural yeah, no, second half. Sure. Like, we think of it as the second half, but I mean, we call it the second half, right? And to be fair, the websites that we use, like Fangraphs, for example, when you look at splits, it says first half, second half, and the second half is after the All-Star break, I believe. Yeah, it is. So, so I, I'm going with that lingo. All right. It's the second half, even though the season's more than half over. And uh, yeah, we're on to episode 108. And after after some some episodes here, Pete, where the jersey number forced you to begrudgingly talk about some former Yankees in positive tones today. Today for number eight, there is a Red Sox who deserves, I mean, arguably he's the, the guy most associated with number eight. I think. I, I mean, around here he is <laughs> around here. Number <laughs> yeah. eight is Carl Yastrzemski and it's Antoine yeah. Walker, baby. So <laughs> Antoine Walker. There you go. Yeah. I well, was wait, looking at number nine next episode. Don't forget who number. I don't want to spoil it, but number nine is definitely going to be a Red Sox as well. We'll get there when we get there. We got to focus on number eight first, but there are, yeah, there are three players in baseball history who have accrued over 90 war and war the number eight. Yaz is second. Joe Morgan 13 seasons is number eight. He has 100.4 career war, according to baseball reference. Yastrzemski, 96.5. So very close. Um, the three players over 90 war are Morgan Yastrzemski and Cal Ripken Jr. The three players who wore the number eight for more than 20 seasons are Yastrzemski, Ripken, and Willie Stargell. So it's a, it's a number with a, a proud history, for sure. But I think we can we can give you this one, Pete. This could be the Yaz episode. Sure. I wouldn't mind it going to Joe Morgan either. I, I will say this is going to help me doing this. Every episode is going to help me with my immaculate grids. Have you been playing yeah. that, Chad? I have been. Yeah. Every yeah, every morning. I, I I have to like wait because I, I feel like people, I see people now tweeting it at night and I'm like, no, this is my morning routine. <laughs> nice like, I don't, I don't drink coffee. And... So I, instead yeah. of coffee, I do my the immaculate grid. Yeah, I can't wait to right. get it done. But I, I just wish that they gave you unlimited guesses because, like, I, I want to choose the most like irrelevant players and see like the I had like a zero point zero two percent guy once. Like that's nice. what I want. But I, I, I'm like, 
I can't, I don't want to guess this guy because then, you know, I'm not going to be able to guess all of them. Yeah, exactly. It's not going to let me finish the grid. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm with you. I mean, I, I want to guess those sort of rare players, but I also just, I want to (laughs) finish. That's really what I want to do is I want to finish. So yeah. I've, uh, yeah, I mean, I've finished most of them, but there's been a couple where it's like, I can't remember. I try way too hard with the Red Sox ones too. Like I want to name the most irrelevant players and, uh, you know, sometimes it's 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 risky, but there was one the other day that really aggravated me because it was Cleveland Guardians 300 win pitchers. And I, I thought yeah. it needed to be somebody who basically got their 300 win with the Guardians or like was with them for the majority of their career or whatever. And I came up, I just finally guessed Bob Feller, even though I'm like, there's no way it was him. Yeah. It wasn't. I just he needed, lost I too much of his career closer. to the to the war. But yeah, no, it's like I think I put Gaylord Perry for that. Sure. Because he just was a guy who pitched for Cleveland. The other guy who pitched for the Cleveland for Cleveland, who who won more than 300 games was Cy Young. So that's that's the other name that could come up. But yeah, no, it's just like it could be any like they could spend any amount of time with the team. It's that those career ones are it's just a guy who was with the team and did that thing. So it's good to know. Good to know. Good to know. Always read the rules. We talk about this. How many times right. do we talk about in trade true. conversations? Oh, Got to like, know your keeper rules. Got to know your rules. Yeah. So this is just another example. Got to know those Great rules. transition. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of keeper leagues, today we are going to do a rookie pitcher draft on the show. And, you know, th- this idea came up uh, a couple weeks ago, mostly because there are just, it feels like there's just a flood of good interesting young pitchers out there right now. Some guys who are performing really well, who maybe weren't very heralded. Some guys who are extremely heralded and aren't pitching that well, but are still interesting and thought, you know, we talked about ranking them. We talked about like different ways to go about this. Finally, I was like, let's just do a draft. We'll each take turns making picks. We're going to snake this. I'll take, I get the first pick. Pete gets the next two. And then we alternate from there. Um, And yeah, it was just, let's, let's, it's just an excuse to talk about these guys. And I got to be honest, I uh, like when we did this draft, so we, we've already done this draft. We did the draft yesterday, today, yesterday. Um, yesterday. And I'm saying yesterday and today as if any of this means anything to people who are listening because <laughs> they don't know when it is. But uh, I'll tell you now, it is Sunday night, uh, July 16th. So by the time you're listening to this, it'll be a couple days out of date. Depending, you know, maybe things will change. But when we did this draft, I. Uh, there were a lot of vibes for me in this draft. I, I pulled up a leaderboard of rookie pitchers and I was looking at some numbers and I looked at some minor league numbers just to double check stuff. But a lot of this was just like, yeah, I feel like this guy is the guy I want to go with here. And so as we go through this, one of the things I'm going to be doing is sort of uh, reconsidering my priors and and rethinking how I rank these guys and, and should I do something differently? I will say I made my first pick and then you made your next two and I was like, Man, I probably could have taken one of those guys. So <laughs> I was pretty uh, pleased I'm already actually. Rethinking things. <laughs> yeah. I could see that. I also I, I do think the guy I took is uh, a deserving awesome. first pick. A deserving it's, first it's pick. It's so. really hard to go wrong whenever you have the first pick in anything, unless you're the Portland Trailblazers. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh so we're gonna do that. In thinking about the value on these picks, it's you know, it is keeper league value. So it is it is about long term. Um, last week when we did our keeper all-stars draft, 
we said, you know, second half of the season does not matter. This is about keeper value, not what you get from them the rest of the way. This time that's not true. This time the second half of the season does matter because we are, you know, talking for keeper leagues. That includes this year. You know, interestingly, and we'll talk about this pretty early on because Pete, you made a comment to me. You're like, well, I'm probably not going to consider the second half much anyways. I'm going to go after that long-term value. And then you went and right away picked two guys who I think are probably the most interesting for the second half of the season. Um, certainly okay. one of them is, so which I think is, you know, an interesting one. So we'll we'll one talk of about them that. For sure. Yeah. So with that, let's dive in. My first pick, I took a, a favorite of the Keeper Cup podcast, Taj Bradley. Um my, my thinking on him, my, my rationale for supporting him, because let's be honest, I mean, he's made 13 major league starts. He has a 5.43 ERA. He's not exactly tearing things up just yet. Although the peripherals, 3.98 FIP, 3.35 XFIP, 3.44 Sierra, uh, and his strikeout minus walk ratio, strikeout rate minus walk rate is 22.7. That is, I believe, second best third best. It is third best among rookie starting pitchers this year. So I, I, he, he has, there are signs underneath that sort of rough ERA that things are, are going well and will continue to go well for him. He is striking out nearly 12 batters per nine innings with his 29.7% strikeout rate. That is just truly terrific, terrific stuff. Um, Talk a little bit about sort of, you know, what he's throwing out there. He is mostly fastball curve, but it's two different fastballs. He goes 43% four seamer and 28.5% cutter, 16.5% on the curve. And then he does mix in a change 11.7% of the time. Those pitches have, you know, varying degrees of success. The curve and the change have actually had the best success in terms of X Woba against it. 216 on the curve, 236 in the change. The fastballs, the four-seamers, 342. The cutter, 345 is the X-Wobe against. So, you know, you, you look at that and you can see maybe an argument for him mixing in the off-speed and the breaker a little bit more than he does and trying to keep hitters a little bit more off-balance than maybe he has. But the reality is that, like, you know, again, underneath that, that ERA, the results have been pretty solid even with this pitch mix. And I think there is some room for growth because he can sort of tweak that mix. He has four pitches he can rely on. He has four pitches he's been very effective with. If you're looking for some, let's say, concerns, I think, you know, his strikeout numbers in AAA both last year and this year were middling. They were not as exciting as I I thought they would be. You know, he was striking out 10 to 11 guys per nine innings, basically every stop along the way until he got to AAA. And then it dropped down to 8.08 last year and, uh, 7.31 this year. That's over a total of 75 innings. Now he's got 61 innings of major league experience at 11.74. So, you know, take that all, like none of those are big samples, but it does show that he, you know, he has the ability to get those strikeouts in bunches, despite what those AAA numbers were, but those AAA numbers still exist are still worth sort of being aware of the 11.3% swing strike rate is, is good, not great. And so you'd like to see that get a little bit better, but in general, I I like what I've seen. I I think he's, he has established himself 
pretty well despite that ERA as as a effective and competent pitcher. And I think that there are, I think that you know, if he can maintain the strikeout rates and walk rates he's showing in the majors right now, he's going to be a star. Yeah, no, I I think Taj is perfectly viable at number one. Um, I think the bumps that we're seeing is he throws a lot in the zone and he's been able to his credit. He's been able to generate a lot of swings and misses in the zone, but he's he has to pay when he gets hit like uh, he, he's getting hit really, really hard. And a lot of his pitches have been feast or famine when they're in the zone. I mean, you look at his curveball, like his curveball has been one of his best out pitches so far. It's a great pitch, but when batters make contact, they're hitting that thing 92 miles an hour. Um, so I, I would like to see him actually, maybe and this is a not really a great criticism for a rookie pitcher who has had a few handful of outings where like walks were actually a problem, but maybe throw outside of the zone a little bit more than what he's been doing. That might get him some better results, but no, I mean, look, 80 strikeouts and 61 innings pitched. Like you said, the, the strikeouts per nine have come back. He's established himself. Um, I'm, I'm in on Taj Bradley as well. I think the guy I took first, I still would have taken first overall had I had the pick, but I may have had Taj number two on my board if we, if we did it all again. Yeah, that's, that's fair. And I think the, you know, the comment about him maybe throwing too many strikes. I mean, yes, he's had walk issues at times, but overall, like his walk rate is solid. Walks are not a problem for him. And I do think, you know, I like when Shane Bieber came up, um, and I, th- th- there's no there's no reason to compare Bieber and Bradley. So it's not what I'm trying to do here. But when Bieber came up, part of his calling card was like he just painted the zone constantly, and part of what helped him find increased success was just not being as stuck on that, being willing to accept walks occasionally if it meant you got more chases and and forced guys to to expand their zone a little bit, and. Maybe Bradley needs a little bit of that in addition to to mixing up the pitches. Uh, mixing up the pitches might help with that too because the the curve and change, you might be able to sort of toss outside the zone a little more, whereas the fastballs you may want to use to be able to get called strikes. So uh, I could see that. I could see that for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so, impressive that his strikeout rate is where it is because batters are clearly waiting for him to throw it in the zone. They're not, they're not chasing on him. He's got a below average chase rate, which for his stuff... Like it should be much better than that. So the fact that he's still gotten all these strikeouts basically in the zone, I don't know. I think it's pretty impressive. Yeah, for sure. So you said that if you had the first pick, you would not have taken Bradley. You would have taken this guy. Talk to us about him. Yeah. So Yuri Perez was the pick for me. Um, I just think there's, there's so much to going in his favor here. And like any kind of exercise like this is really hard, right? Cause we're in every case, we're dealing with really small samples and we're, we're really just dealing with like breaking down scouting reports and stuff like that. But um, if you take the, you know, 30,000 feet in the air view of Yuri Perez, 20 years old and has already had maybe as much, if not more success in the major leagues than any of the names on this list, his frame, that dude is six foot eight to 20 which like maybe is a little thin for six foot eight, but um, he is built for, for major league pitching. Um, he has a deep arsenal. He, he threw four pitches in double digit percentages, meaning like over 10% of the time he threw his four seamer, 44.5% of the time slider up at 30.8. And then a curveball and a changeup, both at averaging around 12% usage. Um, so you take the, the pedigree, the success he's already had, the velocity, the frame, 
uh, Miami kind of being a trustworthy organization in terms of pitching development. They just seem to, they're almost like the guardians or the Dodgers. They're just churning arms out. And if they're not churning them out in their own organization, they're taking them, they're plucking them from other organizations while they're in the minors and developing them into credible starting pitchers. Um, I mentioned that MLB success. He's five and three with a 2.36 ERA, a 1.09 whip, 61 strikeouts and 53 and a third innings pitched. More importantly to me, I love looking at that swing strike rate, 14.3%. Yeah. That is like, that's that's elite. The ERA yes. estimators are higher. So like if we want to talk about a couple of the negatives. The ERA estimators are all like a run higher, but fine. I mean, I'm going to take the success at the top. And he does give up a lot of fly balls. He does not generate a lot of ground balls. It explains why his whip looks so good. Um, but this is a guy who... Let's a, ball, a lot of balls go in the air, which I wouldn't be concerned about. But there was a little bit of an uptick in his home runs at double uh, A this year. So his home runs per nine was always really, really good. But randomly this year at double A, it was at 1.45. And then he continued to give up a lot of fly balls at the major league. So that maybe it's an outlier. Maybe it's nothing to be concerned about. But I would just keep an eye on on those balls that he's hitting in the air. As long as they're just going to outfielders, not into the stands, it's not a problem. But uh Yuri to me was my was my clear cut number one. Yeah, I think and looking at Yuri versus Bradley, I mean, he is Yuri's getting more chases and he has a higher swing strike rate, but he's getting fewer strikeouts and he's walking more guys. Um, you know, we're talking about being how often Taj is in the zone. He's in the zone a lot more often than than Yuri is. And so maybe that's helping get that chase rate up a bit. Uh, for sure, is that there's there's more opportunities for guys to to swing through stuff, um, and he seems to be doing a better job of sort of getting stuff into that that chase zone where guys will go after it. The, but when you look at their their overall lines, we talked about that you know over five ERA versus the under three ERA when you look at Bradley versus Yuri, but their their peripherals are, or their or their ERA predictors are a lot closer in large part because there's an 80-point gap in their BAPIPs. Yuri's around 260, and Taj is around 340. And that that makes a huge difference in terms of what their performance looks like. But when you get under the hood, they're both striking out a ton of guys and doing a pretty good job controlling the walks. And that is, at the end of the day, sort of the number one thing I'm, I'm looking for. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, Taj does throw... A, a, I mean, if you if you look at the types of pitches they throw, I mean, Taj is throwing basically three out of every four pitches is a fastball or a cutter, and those are pitches you're typically right. going to throw in the zone. Whereas Yuri relies a lot on that slider, so that 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 all adds up to me. I was expecting to see, and the slider is also going to get more chases, right? I mean, it's it's right. It makes a lot of sense that their their pitch mixes will lead to some of these numbers that we're seeing for sure. And I, I was when you brought up Taj's BABIP I was expecting to see like all right I bet he gives up a lot of um ground balls then because the reason why Yuri has such a low BABIP is because of how many fly balls he induces he's not a ground ball pitcher he's he's clearly generating a lot of fly balls so far in his career but Taj actually is is also not a ground ball pitcher so far in his major league career which I it, it, he's giving up a lot of line drives that's why the BABIP is so high but if those line drives if he can get those to turn into fly balls um then he should see that BABIP begin to go down a lot but uh yeah wow that that line drive rate that does stick out. Um, but Yuri and Taj, it's, it's tough to go wrong with either of those guys in this kind of draft. Yeah. And I think I, you know, in retrospect, I think Yuri probably is the better pick. Uh, I'm, I'm still happy enough with Taj, but I do think it, one of the interesting de- 
questions anytime you're looking to keep your league is how much do I care about the present versus the future? And I think if you were sitting here saying, yeah, it's a keeper league, but I have a shot to win right now and I need pitching right now, the guy you took third might be, has a case for being the first overall pick in that scenario. Yeah, yeah, him or Senga, um, I think you could go with, but I, I just like Hunter Brown yeah. more. Um, so Hunter Brown was the pick, and I, I think it's fun to just look at. So, it's Chad, what was this? There was one stat you filtered by, like what what was the order they were in um, on on the notes sheet? What was the stat that they were filtered in? I think I sorted by strikeout minus strikeout rate minus walk rate. I think. Okay, interesting. Uh, so, if that's the case, well, he was first on that list. But also, oh, if you look at Hunter that, Brown's, that must not be because he's not first on that list. It might be by FIP or WAR. I don't, I don't know what I. So by WAR, he's definitely first. He is so his by F WAR. Hunter Brown is at two point two. Sanga's at one point six. Bybee at one point four. Some of that is just pure innings. Like Hunter Brown's throwing ninety four innings. Sanga's throwing ninety five point two. Most of the guys we we picked in this draft are are significantly lower than that, um, but yeah, I think it, it, I may have just done it by war because that might have been that's the default at Fangraph, so I might have just used that. I think that's what it was, but I mean, there's there's a lot of categories that you could have filtered it by for rookie starting pitchers, and Hunter Brown would have come out on number one. So Hunter Brown for among rookie starting pitchers for expected ERA is fifth and that's as low as it's going to get for him on this list uh he's at a 3.78 expected era which when you look at his average exit velocity against that kind of makes sense ahead of him was abbott perez Bybee, and senga and then we get to fip he is first uh by a tenth of decimal spot over bryce miller in x fip he is also first so the fip was 3.35 the x fip is 3.01 that was by 0.34 over taj bradley you brought up the war. He is first in F war in ground ball rate, which is another stat unrelated that I well not completely unrelated, but unrelated that I really love. He is first among rookie starting pitchers. He has a 55.3% ground ball rate. His BABIP, however, is 3.49 or 0. 0.349, 3.49. Jesus, I don't even know what that would mean. But point, <laughs> 0. 0.349. He's a three and a half hits every time someone comes up. <laughs> yeah, it's brutal. He's been terrible. Um, now that BABIP is exorbitant. Even you could say like, "Hey, it's a high ground ball rate, so it's going to be a high BABIP." But 0.349—that is ridiculous. And he had a 0.271 BABIP through 106 innings pitched um, just last year, I believe, at Double A. So, like, he's a maybe the 271 was low, but the 349 is really high. So he could get even better. It does explain why the the surface numbers don't necessarily reflect what we're seeing in the FIP and the XFIP. It's a mediocre walk rate. It's it's not a great swing strike rate. Um, he doesn't get a lot of swings and misses in the zone, which which is a problem. But based on what he's done this year, and definitely I would agree with you, if this was just a second half draft, it's hard to not like what uh, Hunter Brown has brought to the table. Yeah, I, I will note that whether or not he leads in FIP is at least a part based on what sort of innings cutoff you use, because you and I both make picks coming up who have better FIPs than Hunter Brown. They just I have thrown. 40. I'm curious. Yeah, so it, to... uh, the, these two guys are in in the mid 30s and in the low 20s in terms of innings this year, and so we'll we'll get to them later. Okay. Uh, you took the guy who was number two. I took the guy who was number one. Um, okay, but I didn't take him for a while. He was my last pick. So, it, it, but I mean, I, Hunter Brown isn't just at 40 innings pitched, right? I mean, he's no, at he's at 90. Yeah. So 
Uh, yeah, he is at uh, 94. So it's it definitely means a little bit more. Um, yeah, I, I think, I mean, I, I think if you're looking for which of these rookies that we draft in this is likely to have the best second half, um, maybe that's not the way to put it, who is the safest to have a good second half, it's probably Brown, right? I mean, Brown at this point is 114 innings into his career. That's not a lot. But at 114 innings into his career, he has a 354 ERA, a 3.10 FIP over a year and you know, year plus now. And no, that's not a huge sample. No, that's not like good. He's settled. He's going to be a star for years to come. There's no bumps in the road or anything like that. But it's a pretty good sign when a guy's gone that far and, and pitched that well. So yeah, I, I like that pick a lot. So now jump to my second pick and uh, at some extent, the 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 opposite of of Brown and Perez, and maybe even Bradley. Like I went with a guy who is he has been very impressive, but it's only about it's less than fifty innings, forty seven innings, and there are some real concerns. But I just really like the talent. That's Andrew Abbott. Andrew Abbott, two point four five ERA, but his ERA predictors, FIP, FI, XFIP, Sierra, all are over four. His XERA, though, is good. It's 3.39. So that's that's at least a good sign. He is not yet really piling up the strikeouts the way I think he will. And that's a big driver in, in why I was why I took him this early. So he's striking out 27.3% of guys in his you know, eight major league starts at 9.63 K per nine, his walk rate a little bit higher than Taj. And I, I've, I've talked in the show a lot in the past about like, I love pitchers who avoid walks. Abbott's not really that an 8.6% walk rate, 3.02 walks per nine. But if you go back and look at his minor league track record, this guy was striking out more than 30% of hitters basically every step of the way. In double A this year, he only made three starts, only 15.2 innings. But in double A this year, he struck out 64.3% of batters he faced. Then he went to triple A and in seven starts, struck out almost 35% of batters he faced. So I think there's some room for that 27.3% to go up. But the swinging strikes are missing right now. So again, looking at those swing strike numbers in double A, it was 22.4%, which is insane. In triple A, it was 14.5%. It's down to 11.5% in the majors. He needs to find that. He needs to find more swing and miss because he his game is predicated on piling up those strikeouts. And he's going to have to do that in that park because if you start walking guys and then letting them put the ball in play in Great America Ballpark, um, you are you are asking for some bad results because that is a very very hitter friendly place. However, there are again some some good signs that that swinging strike rate. If you look at what he's done over the course of the season, he was down around eight percent, seven percent his first couple starts. He brought it up a little bit, and it's only recently that his it's run up to boy more like. What is it at now? Like 11 or 12%. Um, if you look at some of his more recent starts, like here's his last, his last five starts since his most recent. So his most recent was yesterday. Yesterday being Saturday. He was at 12.2%. The start before that, he was 10.6. Start before that, he was 208 
The start before that, 11.2. The start before that, 18.2. So if you look at what he's done over his last five starts after being at around 7.6, 6.7, and then 4.8% in his first three starts, like he's found some of that swing and miss. And so there is there is a, a trend in the right direction that I am excited about. Um, his strikeout rate hasn't really followed it. It is as a little bit. It, it definitely jumped up in those three starts in those those three starts where he was 18.2 11.2 and 20.8 but it's dropped back down for the last couple so we got to see if he can bring that back up but if he can continuously put himself in a position to strike out guys at that 30-ish percent rate that we saw him doing in the the minors and i think he can do that it's going to make a really big difference so you know over those five starts 33.6 percent strikeout rate six percent walk rate that is elite elite stuff so this is this is what i'm seeing right so this is when i when i talk about sort of being you know a little bit more of a risk but i I really really like what i see that's that's what i'm talking about um he mixes his pitches pretty well he's almost exactly 50 percent four seamers 49.9 but then 18.3 percent curve 16.1 percent sweeper and 15.6 percent change up so you know as an opposing hitter you're going to get that fastball half the time, but the rest of the time he's all over the place. He's in a good way, right? Sometimes we talk about pitchers being all over the place. We usually mean bad, but in this case, I mean in a good way, he's keeping you really off balance. And and I, I, I'm excited about that. So yeah, Andrew Abbott, that's my, that's my guy with my, what pick am I in now? My second pick, my second pick. Yeah, I, I like Abbott a lot. Um, obviously, the ballpark gives me some pause, but what gives me the most pause with Abbott um, is that in the Southern League, where he spent when he was at Chattanooga in Double A, he was in the Southern League. They were experimenting with pre-tacked baseballs this year. Um, yes. Yeah, and I was reading an article on Baseball America that was talking about um, basically like the impact that this this had specifically on Abbott, um, and I was trying to find the quote while you were while you were talking there and i think i found it um so here it is abbott averaged 17 inches of carry on his four seam fastball while pitching for chattanooga in the southern league last season with the new pre-talk pre-tack baseball this season he jumped to an average of 20 inches of carry in three starts before being promoted to triple a and that's where his strikeout numbers at double a were absurd the ones that you mentioned yeah. was, what, 31 and 15 or whatever in his first start at triple a louisville where the standard major league baseball is used Ab- abbott dropped back down to an average of 16 inches of carry and all 10 of the 63 qualifying pitchers in the southern league are averaging more than 21 inches of carry in their fastballs this season no pitcher in the major leagues is averaging more than 20.8 so like i i don't know what to make of that i mean it's hard to be concerned about it when he's also generated results at the major league level but you brought up how you want to see him get strikeouts how maybe he started doing it recently it's just that's going to be stuck in the back of my mind until I start seeing the prolonged success. Because unlike the last three pitchers we mentioned, except maybe Hunter Brown, I, I guess he was more middling certainly than Yuri and Taj. Now we're getting into the arena of starting pitchers who are not like elite prospects. And so when I see something like that, it does stick out a little bit. Um, but Abbott was high on my board. So I was not surprised to see him taken here with your second pick. Yeah. So let's take a quick break here. When we come back, I know you said we're getting into the not elite uh, prospects, but uh, we're going to get into an elite prospect right after this. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat, and that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization 
so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, welcome back. As teased before the break, my next pick is uh, absolutely an elite prospect, and that is Grayson Rodriguez. And honestly, I'm going to make this like I'm going to make this real brief on Grayson because he made ten major league starts earlier this year, and he sucked. <laughs> like I don't I don't know how else to put it. He walked too many guys. He gave up way too much hard contact. He was not good. He still managed to strike out 26.5% of hitters, which is great to see. Although I think he could do even better than that, given his minor league track record, he's coming back. So by the time you listen to this, we will have seen the next Grayson Rodriguez major league start. He is starting tomorrow. The Orioles in their infinite wisdom are like, Hey, the Dodgers are coming to town. That's a nice soft landing for you to come Let's back. Let's ruin but... this kid some more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But We'll see what he can do. We'll certainly learn something from, from that one. So uh, good luck tomorrow, Grayson. I hope you pitch well. But I, I mean, this is this is purely a this is a gamble on a guy who just forget the major league numbers so far. He is as elite as prospects come. And I will bet on that talent here. I, th- and that's really all I got to say about it. <laughs> Okay, so then I, I'm just we're gonna get two done right now because I was basically planning sort of the same thing for Shane Boz, who we're not Shane Boz was not my next pitcher. We'll get to them in just a second. But I did take Shane Boz with my second of my upcoming two picks, and it was sort of the same thing. This is an elite prospect. He's got a little bit more of an uphill battle. He is not starting tomorrow. He is not starting until no. next season. Yeah. <laughs> However, when it comes to prospect pedigree, if anybody on this list matches Grayson Rodriguez, and Yuri Perez, I'll lump him in there as well. Then it's sure. it's Shane Boz, um, which is why I took him. So I'm I'm with you on Grayson Rodriguez. I was probably going to take him with Boz if you didn't take him here. Um, so I definitely agree with the pick. Yeah. So yeah, and Boz. I mean, the the advantage that Boz has, and the, the case you could make for Boz over Grayson is he has shown it at least in small doses. Right. Small doses in the majors, right? He struggled last year a bit, but he he showed us something in 2021. Like he's had a couple of bites of the apple and he hasn't been bad. And so from that perspective, he's got an advantage. The disadvantage is, of course, uh, when you get bad injuries and you miss a lot of time, that can pile up and become a concern. And so you got to be a little bit worried about that. But he should be back really for the start of the season next year, right? I mean, he should be good to go for opening day. Yeah, I would assume so. That would be so uh, over a year and a half, I believe. So, yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I totally get that. I also think the the other the other disadvantage Boz has is, of course, you get no value from him this year. He's not doing anything for you. So, at least Grayson's doing that. Now, before we jump to your your next pick, 
Um, let's talk a little bit about the underdog fantasy games that we've been talking about. As you know, we've been we've been talking about this this draft, the second half draft, but that is that's over now because the second half drafts have happened, the second half has started. But in looking at Grayson Rodriguez, he is starting tomorrow. And underdog fantasy has these pickums. Have you seen these pickums? Yeah. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. Yeah, so they've got him set up tomorrow. And the way these pickums work, they're basically over-unders, right? You're, you're picking an over-under. And for Grayson Rodriguez tomorrow, they're looking at an over-under of five strikeouts, an over-under of two and a half earned runs, or an over-under of five hits. You can actually stack these sort of in a parlay, which is sort of a, a cool way to do it. I think you actually have to stack two of them. Not for a single player. You can do a bunch of different players. So like I could do over five strikeouts for Grayson Rodriguez and under one and a half total bases for Freddie Freeman. I don't know if I'd want to do that. I probably would do the opposite of that, to be honest. But by the time you guys are listening to this, it's going to be Wednesday, which means that giving you our thoughts on what Grayson Rodriguez and Freddie Freeman are going to do on Monday doesn't do you any good. But I was starting to look at, at, at some of the starts going on on Wednesday. And I think, Pete, you were too. Anything that you would jump at is like a, hey, this is, this is, these are lines I'm going to check out Wednesday morning because they may be interesting. Yeah, I definitely want to check out um, the strikeout lines for both Kenta Maida and Luis Castillo. I think that's going to be a game that involves a lot of strikeouts. Um, part of the reason why is because you have two pitchers who are both right-handed, and it is the two teams with the worst strikeout rates against right-handed pitchers. The, the Twins strike out 27.1% of the time against right-handed pitchers, and the Mariners are at 25.8%. Those are both worse than the Oakland Athletics. Um, so there should be a fair amount of strikeouts. Two good pitchers. Kenta looking pretty good lately. Um, and Luis Castillo, obviously, you know, one of the best frontline starters in baseball. So I want to see where those strikeout lines are out, and I'm, I'm interested in taking the over if they're at a spot I like them at. Yeah, and I think a, a pitcher that I'm looking at is uh, Graham Ashcraft, who has been really good his last three starts, even with exactly one earned run. He is a guy who goes deep into games, and one of the things that they often put as a line for pitchers is total batters faced. And I am intrigued by taking an over if they aren't, let's say, aggressive enough on his total batter's face because he's been going deep into games. Now I would, I would take the under on his strikeouts. He's facing the giants. The giants are actually sixth in baseball in strikeout rates. So they strike out a decent amount, but he does not pile up the strikeouts. So he's not a guy I'd look out for there. It's sorry. It's not total batter's face to do. It's total. It's pitching outs. So like Dane Dunning tomorrow for Monday's games, they have an over under of 17 pitching outs. So 17 pitching outs puts you in at, you know, five and two thirds innings basically. Um, and I think if they do something like that for Ashcraft, I'd, I'd be intrigued to take the over and see him getting into the sixth, getting through the sixth, I should say. So as a reminder, if you do want to do any of those pickums, when you go to underdog fantasy and you make your first deposit, use our code pitcher list, all one word, you'll receive a hundred percent deposit match up to a hundred dollars. And these, I mean, you can put pretty small amounts of money, into these if you want to do do a lot of bets. And so you can make you can make this hundred dollars with a hundred percent match stretch pretty far. As a reminder, you must be 18 or over to play, 19 or over in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 and over in Massachusetts and Arizona. You also must be present in a state where underdog fantasy operates. 
Terms apply if you're concerned with your play. Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org. In Arizona, you can call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY. And in Tennessee, call 1-800-889-9789. And with that, we can get back into our draft. And Pete, you know, we're, we're, we're switching your, your, your picks in the, what is this? I guess the third and fourth round, something like that. So you, you've taken Boz already. We've talked quickly about him. And uh, we're getting into, you started a run on Cleveland Guardians here. <laughs> I did, yeah, which is a good sign for your organization. There was another I one know. that didn't even get uh, didn't even get drafted, so uh, not bad. But uh, I went with Gavin Williams, who I, the reason why I took him here because the surface stats don't look great; they don't look as as dominant as we had hoped. Granted, it is not a big sample. We're talking a handful of starts, twenty nine and two thirds innings pitched, is really the eye test. <laughs> Um, and the pedigree, I was watching him pitch the other day and I was like, Oh my God, this guy is disgusting. I mean, he was, he looked nasty. I think he had four strikeouts in the first two innings. And I mean, I'll admit it's rare these days where I get to sit down and watch a whole baseball game. But I went back and saw his final stat line. And I was like, what, how did, how did that happen? He, he was dominating. So it was his outing against Texas. He ended up going five innings pitch, only four hits, but four walks, um, two earned runs, and only four strikeouts. So that was that was kind of surprising to me. But um, it's just one of those. It's one of the things you said at the beginning, right? It's vibes. Um, and Gavin Williams is one of the premier pitching prospects in baseball. Um, well, premier rookies in baseball. And uh, I, I just believe in the stuff, even though I, the, it's the lack of, I guess, swing and miss so far that has disturbed me the most because yeah. I want to see his stuff start to play up. But to his credit... The whip at 1.18, like that is, that's for a rookie starting pitcher who just walked four in his last outing to have the whip down at 1.18. I like to see that. So it's all vibes with Gavin Williams. If somebody in your keeper league is like cooling on him, they got really excited because it's Gavin Williams. He's finally up and he's kind of disappointed so far. I would, I would swoop in because I think he's got just as much upside as most of the names that we've talked about here. Yeah. And I, I'm with you on the eye test. I mean, the guy, like it's funny on the on the Guardians broadcast the other day, they were talking the the announcers from how like the first time they just saw him, they were like, "This guy just like the comment they made was actually we were surprised he isn't from Texas because he just looks like those like big <laughs> nasty Texas pitchers." There's so many of those guys out there. Gavin's actually from North Carolina. Fit. Yeah, he's just a he is a big dude. He is a he can be overpowering at times. And when you watch him pitch right now, and and well, well, you may not have had much time to watch his starts. Like he's he's made five starts for the team I watch a lot of, and when he makes the starts, like there are moments in games where he throws pitches that you're just like, okay, nobody's hitting that, right. and then he loses it, and he he becomes hittable, or he he walks a bunch of guys, and like, but you can see it coming together. You can see the pieces there, and he's clearly still working through it a bit. And, and it's worth noting. I mean, this guy, it's not like he's super like experienced yet, right? He he in 2022 pitched 45 innings in A ball and then 70 in double A. In 2023, he pitched 14 innings in double A and 46 in triple A before getting promoted. Like he's thrown, what is that, 115, 175? He's barely thrown 200 professional innings. 
let alone at, at any level. Like he hasn't really even had a chance to settle in. Like if he stays up the rest of the way with Cleveland and continues to make starts with Cleveland, he'll have more major league innings than he's had at any other level in his career, basically. So he is still learning. And I think that to me is just like, you watch what he's capable of and you see what, what he can do when he's at his best. And you can see the pieces there and think like, yeah, but what, imagine when he actually figures out how to pitch. And right. so I, I'm super excited. I love this pick. Um, my one next pick. That, oh, yeah. Oh, one, one thing real quick on Gavin Williams. I, I can't remember if I was listening to the Guardians or the Rangers broadcast that they brought up his extension, um, which extension is essentially it's it's like how much closer a pitcher is or how much closer a pitcher's release point is to home plate. And so like a, a taller, bigger pitcher, like think Randy Johnson, that fastball, even if it's only only 96, which is ridiculous, which is what Gavin Williams is averaging on his fastball. It's coming in looking like 102 and he is in the 99th percentile in MLB on their extension. And so cool. there was one batter who was, it, it was full count and he swung at a, at a fastball, basically at his eyes and, you know, the announcer made some like, oh, swung at ball four there. It's like, dude, he didn't know what he was swinging at. Like that, right. that thing was, that ball was on him before. Like yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I, I'm super excited about him and, and excited enough that uh, I would have had a very hard time deciding between him and the guy that I took next. I think if I had to choose between them, you saved me from doing that. But if I had to choose between them this year might be the difference maker. Because I think this guy is just, he's more polished right now. Sure. But Looked the reality is, I talked about how few innings Gavin Williams has thrown his pro career. Tanner Bybee is right around the same amount. He's thrown, let's see, let's see, that's, what is that, 132, 140. He's thrown basically a little under 150 minor league innings and now thrown 70 major league innings. So, Bybee is, you know, he's a little bit ahead of Gavin Williams in terms of sort of his learning and how many innings he's pitched, but not a ton. But yeah, Williams today, he pitched Sunday, six innings, six strikeouts, one walk, five hits, two earned runs. Uh, that took his ERA on the season down to 3.32, his FIP down to 3.68. He's got sort of all the pieces in place. The, the thing that's, there are two things that are that are concerning, and this is, this is going to sound crazy because there are two things that are concerning and they are strikeouts and walks, but <laughs> that's uh, never a good thing with pitchers. But in the minors, his calling card prior to this season was walk rate. He just did not walk guys. And, you know, he was at a 5.6% walk rate in high A and then a 4.9% in double A last year. That jumped up to 13.1% in triple A this year and then 9% so far in the majors. I think that's going to come down. I think I don't know what's been going on with him. I don't know why that's been an issue, but I, I think he's going to get better at that. Maybe today was the start of that. I mean, if you look at his his starts over the course of the season, he made his debut back in April. He didn't walk anyone for his first two starts. Then he gave up four. Then he didn't walk anyone again. Then he gave up four. Then he gave up one. He gave up one. And then all of a sudden, one of the str stretch where he gave up two, two, three, four, two, four. And then it was back down to one today. And so my hope is that we're seeing is him is him turning the corner there. The other thing that I said, like the strikeouts, the strikeout rates have always been very good in the minors. It's been only okay in the majors. He's striking out 23.7% of hitters. It's a 9.13K per nine so far. 
And that's leaving him with a 14.7% strikeout minus walk rate. It's just not good enough for him to be the kind of pitcher we want him to be and we think he can be. And the reality is, though, I think both of those numbers are going to improve. I think he's going to bring down the walk rate, bring up the strikeout rate, and it's going to have a it's going to have a real impact. But we need to see it happen. Um, I just, yeah, I was really impressed. I mean, Texas has been beating the crap out of Cleveland this weekend, and and it was very impressive to see Bybee go out there and just basically shut him down. Lord knows my fantasy teams needed that too, especially the 1.0 whip today that he that he put forward. And look, I mean, the fact that control and command have kind of been his calling cards to this point in his career and he's having trouble, it could be really concerning. It could also be that it's going to be easy for him to fix. Um, it could be as simple as major league hitters, like, are we going to lay off this pitch? And they kept laying off it and he just kept walking, guys. It's going to be like all these pitchers, it's going to be a battle of you know, they're going to have to adjust and then hitters will adjust and then they'll adjust and we'll see where the dust settles. But um, Tanner Bybee is far from polished and I'm not ready to be concerned about that stuff just yet. It's definitely, definitely on the radar though. Yeah. So with that, I, uh, I switched to, I guess you would say my other team since the guardians are my team, but I live in Seattle and I'm a Mariners fan of, of sorts. My kid is a Mariners fan and I don't know how many of my listeners have kids, but if you have a 10 year old kid and they're a Mariners fan, you become a Mariners fan. It's hard to avoid. And so Bryce Miller, he also pitched today. He pitched uh, He pitched pretty well as, as well. Five innings, three strikeouts, one walk, no runs, five hits. It's a pretty solid start. You'd like to see more strikeouts, but, you know, we'll take it. Uh, but Miller is, is next. my next pick, and, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. He throws a good, hard four-seamer. He also throws a slider. This is according to Baseball Savant. He throws a four-seamer, a slider, a sweeper, a changeup, a curveball, and a sinker. Now, he has thrown, I assume this doesn't include today. According to this, though, he's thrown that sinker twice this year. So maybe that's not a real pitch. He's thrown the curveball only 18 times. That's only 2%. My my concern with him, a little bit of a concern with him, is that four-seamer is 68.2% of the time. If you really throw six pitches, there's you shouldn't be using your fastball quite that often. Um, but I also, I'll be honest, like, I don't know how much of this is like, are the slider and sweeper really different pitches? I, I don't know. Um, my guess is that sinker that happened twice was just a categorization issue. But I, I do think he has some some growth and development to do in his pitch mix. And, you know, possibly that's what's showing up in sort of unexciting 10.8% swing strike rate and 8.39 strikeouts per nine, 23.8% strikeout rate. However, he is, you know, unlike a little bit, unlike Bybee, he was walking like over 8% of guys in in a ball and around 8% in a ball last year. Um, It went up to 9% when he got up to double a over 9%, 9 9.3%. And then this year in double a, he walked 3.5% of hitters. It was only 19.2 innings, but still. And then in 59 major league innings, He's at 5.2%. That was before today. Today, he faced 20 hitters and walked one of them. So that is a, that's 5%. That'll bring that 5.2% down a tiny amount. But that is a, that's an impressive number. He's walking less than two guys per nine innings. And he has some pedigree that suggests that he should be able to strike out more than a hitter per inning. And if he can keep those walks in check, like if, if what he found in AA this year was a way to avoid walks and he can get those strikeouts back, there's a 
there's a huge, huge amount of upside in that arm. Yeah, I could see it. I could, I could see him being a guy that gives you a lot of innings too. I mean, to be honest, if you're throwing 70% fastballs, you, you better not have a high walk rate. So I'm not going to blame him for, for having a good walk rate. I'm just hesitant to give him too much credit for that. Um, strictly, I think he's, he, I think he's going to be a pitcher who is going to be more useful to his ma- major league baseball teams than he is going to be to his fantasy managers. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean he's, he doesn't have any fantasy value, but I, I, I mean, you brought it up right off the bat and I think it's, the, it's the most glaring thing that the fastball being used 70% of the time, like, I, I just don't know how long he's going to be able to survive as a major league starter if he doesn't start mixing up his pitch mix more. Um, we hear that a lot about guys who are two pitch pitchers, right? Like, like obviously for me, Tanner, how comes to mind because he was heavy fastball, heavy slider, but that's using two pitches. A lot of the time, this guy's just like, if you're going in the box, you know what you're getting from Bryce Miller. And I think that's a concern until he changes it, which of course he can. Yeah. I don't know if it matters more sort of a random fact, but he's in 98th percentile fastball spin rate. So I don't know if that, you know, maybe that helps him get away with throwing that many fastballs, but I agree. I think that there's, there needs to be some work done to increase the variety of what he is throwing because it's just, it it seems like it must just be a little too predictable right now. Um, and that, that I think is probably why the strikeout rate just isn't where, where you'd like it to be. So after we had a very brief run on Guardians, overlapping with a very brief run on teams, pitchers who pitch for teams that Chad somewhat supports, we now have a run on Millers. We do. We do. We now have the classic Miller run. Um, another, and there was a Miller who did not. So there was a guardian yeah. that did not get drafted. There was a Miller that did not get drafted, which may surprise some Bobby Miller, not making the cut. But uh, I think there's reasons to like him. I, I think there's a lot of reasons to not be too excited about him. We don't need to talk about Bobby Miller. I took Mason Miller, who uh, I mean, there's just simply not a lot to go on, period, when it comes to Mason Miller. He's a guy who's dealt with a lot of injuries, which I think is the only reason he's going this late in this draft is because of the injuries. So like that is baked into his cost here in this little draft that we had. I don't think he's a last round or second to last round pick if he was healthy because his stuff is absolutely nasty. Now a stat that folks might hear about a lot is stuff plus Um, that's a stat or really discovered or invented. I don't know what the correct term would be founded by Eno Saris of the athletic it essentially uses all the different details of a pitch that uh are are not results based so your spin your velocity your movement um all those kinds of things to to come out with a number um that determines how good your stuff is and average is 100 so it's kind of like wrc plus and if you look at rookie starting pitchers um mason miller right now would basically have the best stuff plus and and i really had to lower the innings pitch qualifier this isn't like earlier with hunter brown because mason miller has pitched like the least amount of pitches out of all of these guys um his stuff plus of 121 is absolutely elite um and it's not just like oh well because he's pitched so few innings that must be why his stuff plus is so good now stuff plus normalizes around like 80 pitches like mason miller probably had that after his first outing um, and so the fact that his is up at 121, about 21% better um, than than league average. Uh, interestingly enough, number two 
was Bobby Miller. Um, so maybe we should have drafted him. I don't know. Um, but Mason Miller to me, I like it, for now, his future is in Oakland. <laughs> uh, who knows how long that's going to be there, but the Coliseum is a good place to pitch. Um, if he can get the injuries behind him, the stuff is just too good to leave him undrafted in this draft. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to take him and I'm going to take a quote unquote safe pitcher as safe as you can. It's the least safe position pitcher. And it is the last round of a rookie draft. So I'm really using the word safe loosely here. Um, but I use my last pick on someone to kind of balance out my, my Mason Miller pick, but I still love the upside. I have him in keeper cut league one. And if I offered him to you, don't think like, Oh, Pete's full of it. He doesn't actually like Mason Miller. He's trying to trade him to me. No, that's just because I'm trying to win the league. And I don't know how many innings I'm going to get from Mason Miller in the second half here, but I do love the player. Yeah. Miller's a tough one because it's not just that he's injured now. He's only third. Like, Oh, he's he always threw six. He threw six innings in 2021. He threw 14 innings in 2022. And he is now up to 30 innings in 2023. That third, I mean, like, let's be very clear. It's across multiple levels. He has thrown 30 innings this year. And that more than that almost doubles his career output. No, more than doubles his career output. Right. He has he has thrown more in like more than half of his career innings have been just this year. And anybody who's listening to this and is familiar with Mason Miller knows he hasn't thrown a lot of innings this year, right? This isn't a guy who like, oh, he only had 70 career innings and he threw a hundred this no. He he threw had like 20 career innings and has thrown you know 30 this year. So I I am this is this is the first pick that I don't think I would have taken at all in this draft. And it's purely a, like, the talent is immense. I, I think my concern is, is twofold. One, we really haven't seen him have any meaningful success in terms of number of innings at any level. So everything is still sort of pure projection, guessing, hoping. And with any pitcher, no matter what the talent, there is some risk that like they just aren't as good as you want them to be. But you add that to the fact that like we have no idea if this guy will ever be able to throw 50 innings in a season. And it's just too much. It's just too much risk for me. I'm glad you took him because I wanted to talk about him because he is <laughs> he is a super impressive pitcher. Um, I do wonder like, you know, they they clearly want him to be a starter. Uh, he is apparently throwing a flat ground again. Hopefully that means we see him soon. If he comes back and he gets hurt again, I have to wonder if they move him to the bullpen for next season. And I, the reality is, given the low inning counts he's had, I'm not even sure how much that gives me confidence that they can keep him healthy. So I'm just... I just see too much risk across the board. And that isn't to say I wouldn't roster him or that he's not worth rostering at all or anything like that. Like it's just the reality that like, look, we're coming up to the end of this draft. We're going to talk about a couple more guys, but like when we finish our draft, I'm going to go through a list of names of guys we didn't take. And it is a long and impressive list. And I just don't think I could take Mason Miller over those guys, given the risk. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely it's definitely an upside swing. Um, And when you're bringing up, you know, does he have the ability to last as a starter? I immediately thought of Nate Pearson, who, funny enough, 
is uh, is also like right at the top of this board. I don't know if he still has rookie status because this kind of suggested he did. But Nate Pearson, if you just if you filtered in relievers, would be number one um, among those those pitchers we're talking about here when it comes to stuff plus. So I could totally see him going that way. I just second to last pick, gonna swing for the fences for some upside. Yeah. Before you get to your last pick, let's take our second break. It will be right back with the the safe choice you made. All right, welcome back. And Pete, as as promised, you're going to tell us who's the who's the safe guy you took. <laughs> so the safe guy is the the rookie who's 30 years old, right? The professional pitcher Kodai yeah. Senga, um, who's who's all. It's almost like cheating, right? Like Masataka Yoshida, who is the as we're finding out the biggest All Star Game snub in the history of the All Star Game. Um, he, he said he doesn't want to win the rookie of the year award. Cause he's not a rookie. Right. And it's like, well, whether you want it or not, pal, I think it's going to Josh Young, but that's besides the point. Kodai Senga is kind of unfair for this. Cause he's not really a rookie, but he's also fair for this. Cause he's like, he's not the best pitcher here. Um, but I think I've seen enough to, to take him with my last pick, uh, through all the ups and downs of the season. And we've seen some really ugly outings from Kodai Senga. We've seen some really high walk totals from Kodai Senga. Uh, the numbers look pretty good. I mean, he's, he's pretty much average on balls in play right he's got an average ground ball rate average fly ball rate so he's not some elite ground ball pitcher but he does have a 30 percent strikeout rate 3.2 era backed up by a 3.86 fip so it's not that far off um i I don't know he's adjusting not only to the major leagues but to a new country um to a new culture like i I think you have to take all of those things into account because you can correct me if i'm wrong kodai singa had a lot more buzz than masataka yoshida going into this most recent offseason, and I've, that could just be the position, right? Uh, for sure, and I think the World Baseball Classic definitely changed that because Yoshida was awesome. But uh, Kodai Singa, I, I feel like people maybe cooled on him too quickly, and he's really starting to come around lately. Um, and so, if I do have him in my keeper leagues, like, all right, he's thirty years old and he hasn't been that impressive this season, so that immediately is going to start hurting his value. But I thought I have to choose between him or some of these other names that hadn't gotten drafted, like Bobby Miller. I think I'd prefer Senga in this draft. And I, I was being a little bit of a, a gamesman there with balancing Mason Miller with a guy who I expect to get, you know, 150 innings from next year. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I gotta be honest. I, I was surprised when you took Senga. And I think the reality is I just sort of stopped paying attention to him earlier this year. Yeah. So I'm looking back and like his his numbers in in April were bad. He was walking way too many guys. The FIP wasn't good. The ERA wasn't good. And like, he's been really solid since then. And I think I just missed that. And so I've got, uh, like I said, I was going off a lot of vibes when I did this draft and I'm, I'm going to be reevaluating some of these players. And Sanga's one who I, I think I'm guessing I'm not alone in sort of having missed that, you know, he, he came over and in his first what is it like? You know, his first couple starts actually were pretty good. And then he had a run of like a couple of really bad starts to sort of close out April. And, you know, as of April 20th, he had made four starts and an FIP of six. And then since then, he's really like he had a, he had a bad start against Toronto and a bad start against St. Louis, both in June. And like other than that, he's been really consistently solid. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm a... I'm rethinking my thoughts on Kodai Senga. And, you know, as I said, when you talked about Hunter Brown, like if you're, if you're in a keeper league where your focus is winning now, Senga belongs much earlier in this draft. 
He's he's probably, like you said, the safest, the most likely to continue putting up good numbers this year. The challenge is, like as I said, he's already on the wrong side of 30. <laughs> and right. so it, you don't know how long that's going to go. And there there isn't really sort of the upside path that is there for a lot of these other guys. So the last pick in this draft is mine. And way back at the beginning, I talked about how I sorted this leaderboard by strikeout rate minus walk rate. Um, and then you mentioned sorting by FIP. And as long as you lower the innings enough to let this guy in, your rookie pitcher leader among starting pitchers with 10 plus innings in both FIP and strikeout rate minus walk rate is Brian Wu. Now he's only thrown 34.2 innings, so it's a little early, but he also like his numbers kind of look like what you'd expect given his minor league success and his minor league track record. He was, he had a, 27.3 K rate minus walk rate in double A. It's 24.1 in the majors so far. You know, he's he's shown the sort of like, oh, he was striking out 34.3%. Now it's down to 30.5%. Like you're seeing the sort of like step down you'd expect to see, but he has just been like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this, like make a sort of a bold statement, but like he's been the best rookie pitcher this year. It's in a small sample. The numbers, like the number of innings, is smaller, and he hasn't really gone deep into games. And so, like, I'm I am totally here for people to you know quibble and debate with that because it's it's a it is an intentionally strong statement. But he was on my radar to pick in this draft as early as the first round, wow. and I, I didn't I didn't do it I didn't do it, but I was super happy that I was able to eventually take him because. He's looked like he looked really, really good in double A this year in 44 innings. He has looked just as good, basically, in 34.2 innings in the majors. And so statistically, he's been performing as well as any of these guys, if not better. And I think he's being held back a little bit in terms of his how people value him, how people think about him because of the the perception and the lack of prospect hype that he had before this year. Now, there is also the fact that he had some real walk issues last year in high A, but it's really the only time in his career he's shown them. Almost every stop he's had, he struck out a lot of guys and avoided walks. He had that sort of one blip last year, and I think it, it impacted things negatively in terms of how he was viewed as a prospect, but he's looked really good. Yeah, I, I you know, as you were talking, I was looking through his StatCast page, and I was like, man, I got to, what do I... What am I missing here? Because it feels like everything just looks pretty good. Like I, I'm trying to find something to not like. And I guess the one the one thing that stood out is if if I go back to that stuff plus leaderboard, um, Brian Wu is at 102 stuff plus. And I don't know how recently this was updated. I don't know if this gets updated after every game, after every week. I don't I don't know. But that would put in between Ryan Nelson and Louis Varland. So that definitely doesn't get you excited. But Kodai Senga is at a 98, so I don't really know what to say to that. Um, but otherwise, like. I, I was thinking maybe this guy just doesn't have good velo, right? You mentioned he wasn't a premier prospect. I think the other knock on 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 young starting pitchers is if like they don't have elite velocity, then they can get written off very quickly. Wu averages yeah. ninety five on the fastball. Like he he's got good velo. Um, he's got a, a pretty standard batted ball profi- profile. I mean, I guess he could get more ground balls, but because he gets so many fly balls, that's why he does have such a good whip of one point oh seven. He gets good extension. He gets good spin. Like I I don't know. I, I maybe. He did go too late in this draft. 
Yeah, that's my that's my take. I I like, and I say that despite the fact that like there's only two of us drafting, so I could, I could have taken him at any time. It's not like I could be like, oh, you know, I happen to have these guys keep falling to me and blah blah blah. He was fifth on my board, and this no, like I he was my sixth pick in this draft, and I like I could have taken him before Bryce Miller or Tanner Bybee or Grayson Arriga. Like I I could have done that, and I didn't. I think the 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 interesting thing to me is like. When I looked at his numbers, I was like, wow, by the numbers, I should be considering him for the first pick. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take Taj. And then I came up to my next round and I was like, all right, well, I was considering Wu for that first pick, I guess. Uh, I still think Abbott and Rodriguez have more potential. I'm higher on them. And like, I kept, I kept sort of pushing him off. And I don't know. I don't know why I was doing that because like it worked. I, 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 well, it did. Maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe I was just, you know, I was just playing the game here. I was like, ah, that's Pete's not going to take him. Yeah. I'll just wait. But I, I don't know. Like, I'm looking at the, the most recent picks, and like, I, I would have taken him before Sanga. I said before I would have taken him before Mason Miller. In retrospect, I probably should have taken him before Bryce Miller or Tanner Bybee. I don't think I would take him before Grayson Rodriguez. But I think Wu, like, I think he deserves to be better recognized than he has been. I would take him above Bryce Miller. I, I'd feel fine doing that. I, I can't take him over Tanner Bobby yet. Fair enough. So we've now gone through these 12 guys, and I, I want to just quickly throw out some names because these are all players who we did not take in this draft. And, you know, they have, they've had varying degrees of success. So, like, I, I just want to talk through some of them. But this is – I'm going through this leaderboard that I have sorted by strikeout minus walk rate. So some of the names that come up first are are a little surprising, but number two on that list after Brian Wu is Reese Olsen of the Tigers at 23.1%. Remember, strikeout rate minus walk rate is one of the most predictive stats there is for a pitcher. So this is a, a super interesting one. The ERA is ugly, 5.48, 4.03 FIP, 3.10 XFIP. So some bad luck and home run per fly ball rate. But Reese Olsen is an interesting guy. I've got him on a couple out of new rosters and I'm, I'm sort of watching what's happening there. Alec Marsh is at 19.7%. That's with a lot of strikeouts and a lot of walks, which is not my favorite way to see this profile play out. Um, it's also in only three starts and 15 innings. So it's not, not a lot to look at there. Louis Varland, who we've, we, we you mentioned on your, your stuff plus leaderboard, like, He's a guy who, boy, I, I'm not really sure what to make of him because people keep telling me I should be high on him and I keep being unimpressed by what he's doing. Bobby Miller, uh, who I think probably, if we had said to someone before this, hey, we're going to do this draft. We're going to take 12 pitchers, 12 rookie pitchers. Where do you think Bobby Miller fits in? Off the list is probably not where people would have placed him. Uh, he's been, I mean, He's been really... 4.50 ERA, but a 3.71 FIP. Uh, his issue has been sort of a lack of strikeouts more than anything else. And that's been the same issue for Logan Allen, who we also didn't take. Allen's got better results with that 3.47 ERA. But Allen and Miller, Miller 22.8% strikeout rate, Logan Allen 22.9. Miller 8.2% walk rate, Allen 8.7. So very similar there. Some other names that, you know, those are the names that are guys that like, I think, Maybe I would have considered. And then you've got guys like Michael Grove, Peyton Battenfield, Hayden Wisniewski, who before the season started looked like he belonged on this list. Cody Bradford, not that interesting. AJ Smith Shaver really struggled in his brief major league time, but he looks really impressive in the minors. Osvaldo Beto with Pittsburgh. Like 
He's got a 3.76 FIP. The rest of the numbers are pretty ugly, but maybe there's something interesting there. I don't know. Ronel Blanco, Joey Wentz, JP France, Emmett Sheehan, who's pitching tomorrow against Baltimore, and people are still sort of excited about him. Brandon Williams and Ryan Nelson, Brandon Fott. Like, there's just a long list of names. I'm trying to see if there's anyone else I missed. Ken Waldachuk, we expected big things up from before the season started. It really hasn't worked out. Matthew Liebertor, people still expected big things from, hasn't really worked out. Gavin Stone, I know there's some people who are still big fans of Gavin Stone. Like, there's just a long list of guys here. I, I talked about a couple of them quickly, but is there anyone from that list that we didn't pick that you like, oh, maybe I should have taken that guy in? Uh, I, I like my picks, but I do I, really the, the three big ones to me are Bobby Miller, Logan Allen and Emmett Sheehan. Um, Sheehan kind of yeah. burst on the scene this year. We've talked about him a little bit recently. I, I just trust the organization um, and, I, and I I love the, the, the pet. Everything about that kid. It seems like he could he could be a stud the way he carries himself on the mound, um, the fastball. I like Emmett Sheehan, but Bobby Miller was one who he's another guy who like kind of like Gavin Williams really passes the eye test for me. Like I can see it, but it just hasn't been there. One name that you didn't mention that's going to pitch on Monday is Quinn Priester, who uh, could be pretty interesting. He's a prospect in the pirates organization. who has been uh, a pretty highly rated, I'd say top 50, top 100 prospects over the last couple of years. Um, so maybe keep an eye on him. And I think the fact that, that especially Bobby Miller, because I think he's the biggest name, out of all, all these pitchers that didn't get drafted, I think it speaks more to this class and how ridiculous yeah, yeah. and spoiled we have been when it comes to rookie starting pitchers this year than it speaks to anything bad that Bobby Miller has done because in any other year he would have gone, I don't know, what, fourth, fifth? It just, between the yeah. injuries and to guys like Shane Boz and the disappointments from Grayson Rodriguez, Combined with all the success we've seen, I think it pushed guys like Bobby Miller and Logan Allen off. But uh, I still like them. If you got them in your keeper leagues, hold on, man. Don't abandon ship just because they didn't go here. Yeah, I mean, I think those are the, the two obvious ones. And I think if I had two more picks, they would be the next two picks. I, I, I would be... I don't know which one of them I would take next. Um, I really like them both. Miller's sort of, you know, more pedigree. But I think Allen's actually the better pitcher right now. Although it's... I know, you're picking nits trying to separate them, right. I think, at this moment. so One has um, a job, yeah. the other doesn't. I think I'd just lean that way. Well, uh, Logan Allen is going to be back this week. Because oh. oh, by the time people listen to this, by the time you listen to this, he'll have a job again. So, um, yeah, Bieber is, Bieber is down for, I don't know. I've been out and about today, so I, I have not had a chance to ch- catch up on the news. But I... Like, I don't even want to know. I don't want to know. Right. I yeah, just, I don't either. I don't want to know. <laughs> but yeah, that's a, this is a, it's a pretty impressive class. I think um, I'm, I'm going to go poke around a bit at this list and think like, I'd probably go Yuri, then Bradley, Brown. I might go Gavin Williams over at, no, I go Abbott, then Gavin Williams, then Grayson Rodriguez. I'd probably drop ba- Boz down a little bit. I don't know. I, I'm 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 not really sure, but it's hard. It's hard, and there's a lot of really interesting, really good names in here. So, yeah. With that, uh, anything else you wanted to talk about, Pete? No, I think that pretty much got. We covered a lot of names today, and a lot of guys with hopefully excellent keeper value in your in your keeper leagues. I got a Gavin Williams on a prospect contract in League Two, and I am very excited about that. Actually, I have like yeah, half I, of these names. I got Grayson. I got Boz. I got a lot of names in that league. That's uh 
a bright future for your pitching staff in Keeper Fingers League crossed. 2. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all for listening, and we will be back with you next week.